We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. So I'm putting this podcast out today. It's a part one of a two-part interview that I did with Mike Richmond. Mike's an author, longtime Skins historian. He wrote a book about Joe Gibbs. He wrote the Redskins Encyclopedia. And the book that just came out this week that Mike authored is called George Allen, A Football Life. It is the book about George Allen, the second greatest coach in franchise history after Joe Gibbs, and I believe the man responsible for creating the passion that really still exists today, lesser form than maybe 10 years ago because of what we've gone through uh, as a fan base with Dan Snyder. But George Allen, when he arrived in 1971, the team was a popular team, but it wasn't the sports entity in town that it became when George Allen got here and started to win. Uh, Mike uh, has this book out. You can find the book anywhere you get a book. You can go to MikeRichmondJournalist.com to get a signed copy of the book. So for some of you, maybe not for all of you, but I think for some of you of a certain age, I think you'll enjoy kind of the story of George Allen, the stories that Mike told me. And because we ended up talking for a much longer period of time than I had anticipated, Uh, I'm splitting it up into two parts. Part one today on Saturday, November 4th, and next Saturday uh, on November 11th, I'll put the second part out. Um, But I think you'll enjoy it. And I started off by asking Mike if he agreed that George Allen is really the beginning of this passionate following that followed uh, you know, his arrival in D.C. in 71? Or did he think that the passion existed you know, with, during the Sonny Jurgensen years, during the 60s, when they were great offensively, but they didn't win? You know, Lombardi was here in 69, but really I started off by asking him if he agrees with me that 71 was the beginning of Washington Redskins, Washington football team, Washington Commanders football becoming the passion that it became. I do agree with that. I, in the 60s, as you know, right, they had the Sonny Jurgensen-led uh, offensive explosion, uh, and, and they, they started drawing, they started selling out at RFK Stadium as of 1966 because of that, for that very reason. They were so entertaining on offense. 
but it wasn't until I only came here in 1971 and really turned them into a, a bona fide winner that that true uh, excitement really, really began uh, that very first season, 1971. Now, um, Lombardi was here in 69, and they actually had a, a winning season, 7-5-2, and two, right. but they, they weren't uh, really much of a, a, a threat that year. I mean, of course, they didn't go to the postseason. So it wasn't until Allen came here in 71. I mean, he, he set the franchise on course to really, I mean, the fans had a major taste of winning during the Allen era, and then it just... Uh, we had the um, interim with with Party, but then it, of course just continued under under Joe Gibbs. So yes, uh, in answer to your question, I I do agree with that. He he turned this town upside down in terms of uh, I mean fans were going crazy uh, after the Redskins beat the Cowboys in 1971 to go 3 and 0 in his first season. Ten thousand fans swarmed the tarmac. Well, many of them them actually came on the tarmac at Dulles Airport to greet the team coming back from Dallas. Yeah. I mean, that would be unthinkable today because of the precautions that are taken uh, uh, at airports. But but many, many fans, I mean, they wanted to greet the team and, and greet Allen. And so you you could tell, I mean, they were, this town was really longing for a winner, and Allen delivered. Yeah, I remember um, talking to Bruce when he was here, and he said, you know, that was the first realization of how big it was. You know, they beat the Cowboys in the Cotton Bowl in a rainstorm, and like you said, literally tens, you know, ten thousand people are waiting for them to return from Dallas uh, uh, that particular season. All right, so I want to begin with this. Tell me. Sort of the the beginning of this book is it the is it George Allen's entire life is it George Allen's football life or is it George Allen in D.C. It is George Allen's entire life. Okay, I wanted to write the I wanted to write the definitive biography of George Allen. I went all the way back to his youth. He grew up in in the Detroit area. He grew up during the, the Great Depression, and uh, and I, I documented things about him. That really, I mean, you can see traits in him at that point. It, like it, we all know, he was—he had that workaholic nature as a coach. You know, he had to—it was detail, detail, details. I mean, he had to know everything about every opposing team. He had that—that that characteristic in him as a kid. You know, he really—he was—he—he he was a hard worker. He had to to work for the family actually because. Um, uh, the father, uh, uh, he he really didn't uh, earn much at that time. The mom, his mother, didn't work. So it, George Allen really was was uh, uh, he was supporting the family in a large way. So that type A personality in him that we really came to know later on down the road when he became one of the elite coaches in the league. I mean that really started in his youth. So yeah, I um, I documented all of that, but from his youth. Um, at the colleges, he attended a series of colleges. He had to work his way through. He was in the Navy V-12 program during World War II. Uh, he actually got his first coaching opportunity coaching the 150-pound team at Michigan, which was his alma mater um, for his uh, master's degree. What did he get but, his um, master's he, in? Education. Oh, okay. When he became a coach, that's why he was known so much as a teacher in, in practice, I mean, I know you've seen the uh, the films like 1971, Three sure. Cheers for the Redskins. Yeah. He's teaching in that practice, you know, the player, you know, positioning, uh, details, 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 you know, uh, 
push a little bit up field, do this. So he was a teacher at heart. He got his master's in education. And actually, very interestingly, he wrote his master's thesis on scouting, scouting in football. Well, um, he wrote a way to most, many, mostly college coaches at the time, uh, but he also wrote to three NFL coaches, uh, Hallis, um, Brown, Paul Brown, and there was one other pro coach that he wrote to. So he did his master's thesis in scouting. So he's he's born in 1918. Did he was did he fight in World War II? Uh, he did not. He was not in any combat situation in World War II. He never went overseas. Uh, his last stint in the Navy, V12 program, which was a a way for members of the program to be trained as in some type of uh, officer capacity in the Navy if they were to go and fight. He never did. But he was in that Navy V-12 program in several uh, several different uh, colleges. Uh, and I should say also, one of the misnomers about him, and, and, you know, mentioning 1918, a lot of people think that about him. He was actually born in 1917, hmm. and he was 73 years old at the time of his death. The, he, he kind of fabricated his age over the years. He wanted to make himself seem a little younger, and <laughs> for whatever reason, he also his wife told the story over the years that um, he was kind of embarrassed that it took him so long to get through college. So when they met at Morningside in uh, Allen's first college coaching stint, he told he, he he wanted her to think that he was younger than he really was. Interesting. So he was either listed as born in 1918, born in 1922. He was actually born in 1917. So he was 24 when we went into the war following Pearl Harbor. So he was a little bit old, uh, based on his real age, to 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 go over right at that point. 24 years old. I mean, everybody eventually you know, went, but at that point, he was a little bit older than most of the average uh, soldiers. I he probably was right. I think he still could have gone over. I, yeah. I don't know what the age cap was at the time, but I, I think he was well within that. And But he was in that program uh, to, so he could be trained to eventually go over, right. but he never did. Got it. And actually, um, one of the stories I told in the book is in his last stint in the Navy B-12 program, he was at, at Princeton University, and this, you know, only George Allen could maybe think of doing this. George Allen was a really good chess player, okay? So, and Einstein was an adjunct professor at Princeton at the time. So one day, one Sunday morning after church, Alan and a buddy of his, they got on a bus and they went toward Einstein's home. And uh, they trudged also, you know, getting off the bus, they trudged through the snow. They got to the door, uh, knocked on, and um, uh, Einstein's assistant comes down and uh, in a, like a German accent. Uh, she she was talking to them, and, uh, and George Allen says, um... Is uh, Professor Einstein here? I'd, I'd really like to play him in chess. <laughs> so oh, so uh, the woman, um, uh, the maid, or whatever capacity, she, she invited him in the house, and then Einstein comes flying down the stairs, and, uh, and George Allen says, I, uh, Professor, I'd like to really uh, challenge you to a game of chess. And, and, uh, and then Einstein says, well, did you bring a board? And and Alan says no, I forgot the board, <laughs> and that was so unca- uncharacteristic right. of George Allen, because he was you know preparation so prepared. Freak. Yeah, preparation. Yes, it was. And I actually wrote that wrote in the book. It was so antithetical to the way George Allen would carry himself in life. He was not prepared for that. 
but yeah, he he did challenge challenge Einstein. It was part of the moxie of George Allen and. Uh, so what you know, happened? Did I, did Einstein? Did Albert Einstein bring a board down and did they play? No, they, he didn't have a board. He actually he he didn't he wasn't a chess oh player. Oh my god! Uh, he did not have a board either. So they didn't play. But one one thing that uh, Einstein is very interesting. As Allen and his buddy were leaving the house, Einstein spread his arms and he, he went like boom. Okay, so what he was saying was, and, and George Allen figured this out, you know, shortly after because. Einstein was signaling the atomic bomb, which Einstein I was, was just going to say. They, yeah, I was just going to say that you know, I, many of us recently saw the movie Oppenheimer, and there is that visit to Einstein's house in New Jersey. I think it was in New Jersey at the time. I don't think it was uh, in Germany, but I think it was in in in. Uh, yeah, I think it was in. It would have been in. You're saying right, he was, was at Princeton was, at the right, time. He lived in New Jersey at the time. Yeah. yeah. So, but Einstein was not. He, he wasn't directly involved in the project, right. but his theory of relativity was. Exactly. But anyway, so, so yeah, Einstein made this, this uh, motion with his arms, but boom. So, you know, he was actually signaling, signaling the atomic bomb. And George Allen didn't know it at the time. This was like, so this was around December of 45. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm sorry, no, it was, it was um, like January, January, February 45. So the bomb wouldn't, it didn't go off until the August, summer. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I was just wondering. But, well, but, but wait, so Einstein just as George Allen's there, he just he makes a gesture like a like a bomb going off. Like what? Exactly, what I mean, right. what, how would George Allen have known what he was talking about? He wouldn't have. Oh, he didn't know it at the time. But but he remembers him doing that. He remembers him doing that. He he said it in an interview that he had with uh, Steve Guback, the late Steve Guback, uh, Washington Star. The reporter uh, of the Redskins yeah. uh, in the seventies, who later was Allen's um, uh, spokesperson and, and press person for when he when he chaired the President's Council on Physical Fitness. Uh, Guback gave me access to some really cool interviews that he had with George Allen over the years, and this is one of them. Allen told Guback that uh, that in, in you know in later years after he finally figured out what Einstein had been talking about. He probably figured it out, you know, after the bomb was dropped. Right. That that's what Einstein was, was referring to by, you know, with the thing, boom, and spreading his arms you know, apart, whatever. But but George Allen didn't know it exactly at the time, yeah. what that gesture meant. That's crazy. He knew it, you know, after the bomb had been dropped. But like you said, I mean, the, the, the balls just to go up to his house and, Ring the doorbell and start, you knock on the door and say, "Hey, let's let's play Challenge chess." Challenge Einstein to him came. Yeah. Challenge Einstein to him came in chess, but that was George Allen. I mean, yeah, he had the had the nerve to do that. All right. So how does he? He's not an. Was he an athlete? I know. He didn't play college sports, did he? Or am am I wrong about that? You are not. He did not play college. Oh, I'm sorry. He played intramurals in college. He, right. he did not. Play under scholarship uh, in, in any capacity or, or any um, um, uh, varsity teams, but he uh, he did play intramural sports. He was actually a pretty good basketball player, and um, he he was a, a three way high uh, high school athlete. Okay, he was a track track basketball and football. And this was in Detroit, in the Detroit area. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's uh, let's take a break, and then we'll get into. George Allen, the coach, how he got into coaching, how he eventually made it to the Rams. Uh, We'll start to do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This segment of the show brought to you by Window Nation. The temperatures are dropping rapidly. Energy costs are on the rise. If you've got old drafty windows, your furnace is working harder than ever to keep your family warm. Window Nation wants to help this month with 0% financing for five years, plus two free windows with every two you buy. Now's the time to protect your family from the elements, lower your energy costs, all the while upgrading the look and feel of your home. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Mention my name, Kevin Sheehan. You'll get a free estimate and you'll get 0% interest for five years plus buy two, get two free with no limit. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. All right, so how does he get into coaching? He approached uh, Fritz Chrysler, who was the head coach of Michigan at the time. This was around 1947. He said, um, Coach, I'd like, to, I'd like to be considered to, to be on your staff. And so Chrysler said, sorry, we don't have a spot for you right now. So, th- again, this is another um, the, the moxie of George Allen. He comes back to Chrysler uh, a while later. He uh, uh, said it up on he got an appointment to speak to him again. So he comes back to him. He says, Coach, um, listen, I'll pay you if you put, if you make me an assistant on your staff. So Chrysler says to him, no, you don't have to pay me, but you're going to be an assistant on our 150-pound team, which was just starting. There were four teams in, in then in the Big Ten okay. that were in that league. It was the, called the 150-pound midget league. So George Allen was an assistant on that 150-pound team. I think it was Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and one of the other Midwestern schools. So that's how that was his very, very first start in coaching. His first head coaching position was at Morningside in 1948. Morningside in Iowa, Sioux City, Iowa. Okay. And then he jumped from there to Whittier in right. the Los Angeles area. Right. Whittier was, I, I mean, we know about, that's when you just mentioned Whittier, I've certainly, 
I I remember him coaching there. What was Whittier? Was that Division Three college football? What was it? It was a what we would call today as a Division Three program. I I forgot uh, how. I'd have to read up again on how they classified it, Mm -hmm. but it was not. It was what we would later um, define as Division Three. Yes, it was a very low level program. And it was, and and that was in the L.A. area. It was in the Los Angeles area, yes. Yes. So, and, how did he do? Um, he did. He did well at both Morningside and Whittier. He had a um, uh, uh, above five hundred record at both schools. Uh, at uh, and Whittier, he won the conference championship twice. He, had, he was a two-time winner of the conference championship. Uh, interestingly, one of the coaches or the coach that succeeded him was Don Coriel mm. at Whittier. Wow. Who actually had a much better record than George Allen. And as I also documented in the book, Allen was basically forced out at Whittier. Okay? He, the, the um, you know, board didn't like him. The, uh, uh, you know, he was just, he was doing a few uh, unethical things. They didn't like, it had to do with recruiting, whatever. The players were rebelling, too. They didn't like his style of offense. It was kind of like three yards in, in a cloud of dust. You know, he was a defensive-oriented right. coach even back then. They didn't really like it. They wanted him out. They they liked the good old days, you know, like his predecessor um, was a very offensive-oriented coach, and they wanted that, you know, the um, the athletic department at the school wanted that type of system back. So they kind of forced him out. So where did but he also, go from that's there? Where Allen yeah. met, that's where Allen met uh, Richard Nixon. He met Richard Nixon right. in the early 50s. Nixon being a graduate of Whittier, of course. So, oh, they knew they knew each other then when he was the football coach there, because Nixon they, was they such a sports fan. It, he was a huge sports fan. I think he was the most astute uh, sports fan who ever uh, lived in the White House. Right. I mean, he was just uh, you know president of the White House. I, I there was as far as football. I mean, Nixon was really really smart. I mean, this guy uh, he had such a deep memory for. For football, uh, he could uh, just uh, you know tell you stories about uh, about football history, names, whatever. He knew Tony Guillory's name, the the uh, player on the Los Angeles Rams who blocked a punt in that '67, uh, that dramatic '67 win by the Rams over the Packers, which uh, George Allen coached. Uh, in later years, he he knew who Tony Guillory was. So um, yeah, but that's where Allen met met Richard Nixon. They actually met at an at an NCAA banquet in the early '50s. They they. Uh, somehow came in contact there. Nixon knew that Allen was the, the head coach at Whittier, so he wanted to meet him. So there's actually another story about Nixon and, and George Allen. They didn't meet when Allen first came to to the nation's capital in 1971, and Nixon, of course, was in his third year in the White House. That's right. not where they actually met. So, right. They met when George Allen was the coach at Whittier. You're saying. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's what they first um, But it made it easier for Nixon to, to suggest various plays that that George might want to run in a playoff game against the 49ers in '71. We'll get to that in a little bit. So where does he go from Whittier? How does he finally get to a big time job in the NFL? He he knew uh, Sid Gilman after being let go or leaving Whittier. He got a job almost immediately with the Los Angeles Rams and as, as an assistant coach. He was actually their offensive ends coach, which is really 
when you think about it, he was a defensive-oriented coach, but they hired him to coach their offensive end. And they still had, um, I think they had uh, Crazy Legs. Crazy Legs Hurst, Elroy Hurst on that yeah. team. Yeah. Yeah, they, he was still on that team. They had um, they Bear Brocklin. He was on that team, I believe. I don't think they had traded him yet. Um, so they still had some of the big names from the Rams in, earlier in the 50s sort of the uh, glory period for them. They actually made it to the NFL championship game in 55 under Gilman. So he knew Gilman because Allen was able to get into Gilman's summer coaching camps. Allen being the head coach at Whittier, he found a way to get into Gilman's camps. So Gilman knew him. Mm -hmm. And so Gilman hired him as an assistant in 1957. Got it. That's, that was his first, uh, that was his entry into the NFL, basically. And and was it then how much longer before he went to Chicago and and worked for Hallis? He was. This was his first. His actual actually his first firing by the Rams was after the 1957 season. For whatever reason, they let him go. In my research, I could not find out exactly why. Well, was he a pain but, in the but, ass? Was he just was was there a shelf life? I mean, there clearly was when he became a head coach, but was he that way as a young coach, too? Uh, I, I I don't know exactly why he was let go, but he was. It, it, you, you come to think of it, why would a, a coach at that time, an assistant coach, leave without a job? Okay, It yeah. wasn't Allen's decision to leave. He had to have been let go. Right. So he was let go at that point, and he was without a, a coaching job for a while. He ran a, a car wash in Los Angeles. It was called the... Uh, the Rams car wash for you know some reason he was able to use their name. And <laughs> I'm sure he didn't ask for permission. <laughs> he was also um, he was selling um, golf clubs. Uh huh. He was on selling those on commission. He was selling the big weighted footballs also. Okay, so he worked his way into the the different um, you know training sites of the NFL teams selling those those footballs. And he got into the Bears camp, and he uh, there was a guy there uh, who was on the Bears staff that kind of felt bad for him. He, he the, the two had struck up a conversation, and so this this uh, person went to speak with Hallis about getting George Allen a job on their staff, and so Hallis eventually hired him, heading into the 1959 season. Hallis initially brought him on as a spy to because the, the Bears had a couple of late-season games against the Rams in 1958. So Hallis originally brought him on as a spy, okay, to, to like, you know, yeah. uh, to get information out of him approaching their games against the Rams. And then he, he hired him permanently as what was then known as the head talent scout in 1959, which today would be the equivalent of a general manager. All right, so when does he become the great defensive mind and defensive you know, coordinator. Uh, he was, it was late in the 1962 season that Clark Shaughnessy left. Okay. He, Shaughnessy, he was like on the outs with Hallis. The two didn't get along. So he just walked out with like three games left in the 62 season. So Hallis tapped George Allen to take over for the remainder of the season as, as the head defensive coach or defensive coordinator. So then in January uh, of 63, right after the season, January 63, Allen was named the head defensive coach. That's when he became, uh, he, he started um, 
uh, he was an assistant on the staff as as the defensive coordinator, but he was also the head talent scout at the time. And as you probably know, I mean, he drafted a number of Hall of Famers as in that role. He drafted Ditka in 1961. He drafted Sayers and Butkus in 1965, which is arguably the greatest, or one of the greatest drafts in NFL history. Um, he also drafted a guy named Steve DeLong in that 65 draft in the first round. They had three first-round picks that year. DeLong opted to play for the San Diego Chargers in the AFL. Right. And he made, like, two Pro Bowls in his career. So if DeLong had had decided to play for the Bears, that would have made that, that whole sequence totally in, insane in terms of what George Allen had pulled off. But even though, I mean, even still, how, I mean, um, uh, Butkus and Sayers were first-round first ballot inductees into the right. the Hall of Fame. Oh, I mean I want to make uh, sure but I want to make sure I'm understanding this. So you're you're saying that he was essentially the de facto GM while also being the defensive coordinator? No, he was he he was the G well I, the head head defensive coach was today what we would call the GM. Right. Back then it was called like the the head uh, head defensive coach or or it wasn't even called defensive coordinator or whatever, or defensive head defensive assistant. So he so had he had the job of coaching the defense, or however you would describe it, and also presided over the draft for the Bears. Yes, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, I misunderstood what you said. Yes, okay. he did preside over the draft. He was still the head talent scout, and he was the head defensive coach at the time. Wow. He held both of those roles uh, from the beginning, uh, from January of 63, through the end of the 1965 season when he left to coach the Rams in his first head coaching job. I don't think I, – I, I, I would bet you that a lot of people don't know that because um, that 1965 Bears draft with Sayers and Butkus, you know, uh, one and two Hall of Famers, and Dick Butkus obviously just passed away, is has often been called one of the greatest drafts in NFL history. You know, and they had back then, I don't know, 16, 17, 18 rounds of the draft or whatever it was. Um, but he, so George Allen was responsible for picking Butkus and Sayers. He was, he was the head, the, the top eye for talent on that Bears team. Yeah. Uh, and and I, as I wrote, I mean, I was very careful about this. Uh, you, you couldn't credit Allen entirely, but you, you had to think, hey, you know, they got Dick in 61. Uh, of course, you know, a Hall of Famer today. Uh, they, they drafted Ronnie Bull in 62, who was the NFL Rookie of the Year. And back then, I mean, I think he rushed for only like 400 yards mm-hmm. in his rookie season. But he, he was still the Rookie of the Year. So, I mean, that was a great draft pick. And then um, uh, Butkus and Sayers in 65. So, uh, George Allen played a major role in, in the drafting of those players. And I should also say at 65, uh, he, he signed uh, Brian Piccolo as a free agent. Piccolo was the leading rusher in the uh, yeah. in the country uh, at Wake Forest, Wake Forest. in the year '64. Uh, wow! So yeah, he, he got Brian Piccolo as a free agent. Wow! So you know they win the title in '63 with George Allen as the the lead defensive guy, and then he gets the job, the head coaching job, his first NFL head coaching job with the Rams in what 1966. Okay, yes, that was his first year coaching the Rams. And was he sought? Was he was he very was he one of these sought after guys because they were those Bears defenses were so good and you know they had won the title in '63. Oh, that, that that's totally accurate. Yes, he was he was a hot name. He was probably the hottest name 
on the coaching market after the 63 season. And by the way, I, I want to say Ed Obradovich, uh, one of the Bears players who I was fortunate enough to interview from that team, uh, he totally credit, credited Allen with the win in that 63 championship game over the Giants and that whole 63 season. Yeah. He, he gave complete credit to George Allen. Uh, and he, he was saying it was a total mystery to us why Hallis didn't hire him as the head coach at that point. Or why Hallis didn't even hire him as a head coach in any of the ensuing seasons. It was George Allen's time. I mean, it was just, everybody was just totally uh, confused. Why won't you promote George Allen? I mean, he well, is, But, he ha- is but wasn't Hallis still the head coach? He, oh, yes, he was still the head coach. Hallis would not relinquish the head coaching duty. Yeah. He didn't relinquish them until, like, the, uh, I think 67 was his last season. But it, before, you know, several years before that, Obradovich was telling me uh, it was time to put him out to pasture. I mean, he had been around long enough. And um, interestingly, in that 65 season, the Bears did finish 9-5. and five. They didn't make the, the postseason that year. But, um, and that was Allen's last year with the Bears. But they wanted Allen as, as their head coach. And uh, so, yes, he was highly sought after after that 63 championship game. And, um, uh, and then Dan Reeves, the, the Rams owner, hired him after the 65 season, which is another, that whole, that whole sequence in terms of his hiring by the Rams, Hallis took him to court because uh, he, he believes that Allen was in breach of contract because he had, he had committed to taking the Rams job. Right. And there was a stipulation in, in uh, uh, Allen's Bears contract saying that he held, um, uh, he had secretive knowledge, or like he knew all the secrets, or it was very important knowledge. I forgot the exact wording. Right. But there was this, this wording in the contract, and, and that by going to another team, he could, you know, somehow word could get out about the Bears, uh, you know, secrets about the Bears. Right. So Hallis took him to court for breach of contract, and Hallis actually won the case. Uh, but then he said to the judge, "Listen, um, that's it. You know, I, 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 I proved my point. I won in principle. Uh, George Allen is free to go anywhere he wants." How could you, in the NFL, prevent somebody from leaving for a better job and claim that like he's got proprietary information about your organization that he's going to use to defeat him? That's just that that's that's silly now, right? Um, I think it was totally crazy. I think there was a jealousy on the part of Hallis. Yeah, I think that uh, he just didn't want to let Allen go, and also, you know, he thought he could maybe. Uh, you know, he could squeeze out a few more really good seasons with him. But it was time for Allen to to have a uh, head coaching job. I mean, I believe he was 46 years old at the time. I mean, he, it, you know, it was his time. And so, yeah, I mean, he, he got his first uh, head coaching position, 66, with the Rams. And he inherited a pretty it, it, good players, but they were actually a very uh, mediocre to bad team, just kind of the same way the, the Redskins were when he inherited them uh, or when he started coaching them in 71. So, all right, be, uh, we want to get to Washington here soon, but t- uh, he was he was incredibly successful with the Rams as a head coach. Just for everybody, George Allen never had a losing season as a head coach uh, in his um, however many years he was a head coach. How many years was he a head coach, Mike? He was a head coach for 12 years in the NFL, and then he was a head coach for USFL. two seasons in the USFL. Yeah. So in those 14 seasons, he never had a losing season. I mean, that is phenomenal. Incredible. He's just, 
incredible. You yes, know, actually, so I, I think that that was one of his downfalls, actually. But I'll get to that later. We can. We all can right. Talk about so that. tell me about the Rams. Those Rams teams were better overall than his Redskins teams. And in fact, I think the '67 Rams team that he coached was his best overall team. That team finished 11, one and two. Went to the playoffs, lost to the Packers in the first round of the playoffs. And back in those those days, I mean, you alternated sites for the for the host city. Right. So even though the Packers finished nine four and one that season, and the Rams were eleven one and two, the Rams had to go to Green Bay to play oh, them. Oh man! But I don't even know if they would have beaten them in L.A. because the Rams were coming off two emotionally draining wins. They beat the Packers in the next to last game of the '67 season on that Tony Guillory. Uh, blocked punt and then ensuing touchdown in the waning seconds, and then they beat the Baltimore Colts. And this, this I have to mention. So the Colts also finished eleven one and two that season yeah. and did not even go to the playoffs that year. Oh my God! Can you imagine that? Why? That's inconceivable. Why? Well, I mean, I know that there wasn't a wild card at that point, but I mean, what were the Rams and the Colts in the same division? They were. The same, they, were they, they were in the same division. They somehow put the Colts in the coastal division. Mm. So I can maybe What were the what coast, was the but, division the Redskins were in? It wasn't the East. What was that called? Um whatever. That is a good it's escaping me right now. It's it's fine. Was it the Atlantic? Um, Atlantic? Um, so the so the Rams the Rams and the Colts you're saying played what did you say they played the last game of the year so it essentially was for for playoff berth. Exactly, yes. That was to decide who would go to the playoffs. They were four playoff teams and four divisions. So it wasn't like seven teams from each conference going to the to the playoffs uh, in these, you know, in today's. Uh, I mean, back then it was four teams total that went to the playoffs. And so the, the Rams and Colts played the last regular season game that year. They played in L.A. The Rams crushed them that day. I mean, and the fearsome foursome, that was probably their best game. I mean, they they sacked Johnny Unitas like probably seven times that day. I mean, uh, they, they just um, dominated that game. So that 11-1-2 Colts team did not go to the playoffs. That's crazy. The Rams went, and they lost to the Packers in the first round of the playoffs. I think, though, that was George Allen's best coach. That was his best season overall. He uh, and his best team. And that, that fearsome foursome, uh, they, they were First of all, he got Roger Brown that year. Rosie Greer had a torn Achilles tendon in the preseason. So this was George Allen. He got Roger Brown, the great defensive lineman from the Detroit Lions. It's like he had him on his Rolodex. He knew he was available right away. He got him. Brown filled in for, for Greer. The fearsome foursome kept ro- kept rolling along. Deacon Jones had a great season. Merlin Olsen. Right. Um, yeah. They 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 were so intimidating, so dominant. By the way, I just pulled up the uh, the '67 season. Washington was in the Capital Division. It was called Capital, uh, and they went five, six, and three. But this is what's so crazy about the NFL back then. Like you said, the Rams and the Colts both finished eleven, one, and two in the same division. And the Colts didn't go to the postseason, but the Packers at nine four and one, and the Browns at nine and five, and the Cowboys at nine and five did. And then beyond that, the team with the best record in the NFL by far had to play at Lambeau in the '67 first round. They lost twenty eight to seven. And then what followed was the infamous Ice Bowl game between the Packers and the Cowboys a week later. Um, exactly. And, yes. and and the Packers won that game, went on to beat the Raiders. 
uh, in Super Bowl II, which was, of course, Lombardi's um, last uh, game in Green Bay. So, so, so they were really. So, you think that '67 Rams team? Roman Gabriel was the quarterback. I'm assuming, right? Right. He he was he was the quarterback, and he was on his way to becoming. I, I wouldn't say that he was ever. Well, he was he was an elite quarterback by '69, but he was on his way to to reaching that that level. He was a really really good quarterback uh, for that era. Also, the the Rams had a receiver back then named Bernie Casey, mm-hmm. who Allen had acquired before the '67 season. The referee, later, the guy, the guy that later, became later a, the actor. Uh, oh, he was an actor. Oh, I was thinking of the referee. No. Yeah, oh. he was actually an actor in um, in Brian's song, and then later he had a uh, nice oh. Hollywood career. But uh, he was, um, but Allen had acquired him before the season. He was a really good receiver. Uh, we talked about the fearsome foursome, uh, and oh, there were other great players on that defense. Ed Metter, uh, the the safety, um, uh, yeah. So, and they they had the, they had really solid players on offense. Uh, Roman Gabriel being one of them. So they were. Uh, they, that was a very, very good team. I think that that team was better than the '72 Redskins that went to Super Bowl seven. I think that, uh, yeah, it, it's. It, I'm not saying it would have been any closer if that playoff game had been in L.A., but it, it's it's just the way it was set up back then that the 11, one, and two Rams had to go on the road to play the nine, four, and one Packers. Right. Um, so in L.A., I'm looking it up right now. Uh, he went to the playoffs in two of his five seasons, even though his records were eight and six, eleven one and two, ten three and one, eleven three, eleven and three, and nine four and one in his final year. And he didn't win the, the, the in sixty nine. They he, again, by the way, with a better record, eleven and three. He had to. Oh no, no, Minnesota had a better rec- record, but he had to play a playoff game in Minnesota. Uh, I'm sure, just like Lambeau, it was probably frigid, and they lost uh, uh, 23 to 20. So there, right, right. yeah. So there he was as a head coach, already kind of starting that process of not getting it done in the postseason. But they didn't know right. that at that time. There was nothing. Well, to- he was. I, I don't think that the, the pressure. I mean, of course, the pressure was there, but I don't think he he had been. Uh, um, labeled a, a coach yet who who couldn't win the big one. Right. Maybe you know, there were a few whispers here and there, but in '71 he lost to the 49ers in the first round of the playoffs. So he had to win that first round playoff game against the Packers in '72, and then of course he beat the Cowboys in the NFC Championship game the following week um, to go to Super Bowl seven. Uh, but that, that, getting back to that '69 Rams team, I also want to say that team started out 11 and 0. And lost its last three regular season games, mm. and then went into that first round playoff game against the Vikings that you referred to, and lost. But they lost a lot of their momentum toward the end of that season. And one of the criticisms of George Allen's teams over the years is that his players were burned out toward the end. Right. I don't think that was, that was totally a situation where he wasn't playing the starters in, in you know toward the end of the, that regular season, but. His players would say over the years they were kind of, kind of burned out toward the end. Merlin Olson said it. Um, so, which is, you know, I think a reason why he didn't perform well in the in the playoffs. He lost in the first round of the playoffs four times in Washington. So, 
twice yeah. in L.A. and, and four, I, I mean, four times in, I, uh, in D.C. I've always felt there's a lot of similarities between George Allen and Marty Schottenheimer in particular. They really rode their teams very hard. They were tough old school coaches and neither one of them had the playoff success that they had in the regular season. Uh, so let's just go back to the the last year in LA is his fifth year in LA. It's 1970. They go nine, four and one his record in five years as the Rams head coach people 49, 17 and four. There was no overtime back then. That's why they had all those ties. And so how? why did it come to an end in L.A.? Uh, he and uh, Reeves were, were at each other's throats. Actually, uh, the end of the 1970 season is the second time that Reeves fired him. Reeves fired him after the 68 season, and this is after uh, three winning seasons uh, <laughs> and, and the two uh, great records in 67 and 68. Reeves fired him after the 68 season. He couldn't stand George Allen's ways. George Allen was on the phone all the time. Uh, he was just, you know, spending, running up uh, uh, phone bills, uh, spending big bucks for veteran players. Uh, and, you know, back then, um, it, it was a lot of money that he was, he was put, he put, he had the uh, authorization to do that. Uh, Reeves ran the scouting department, and he, he handled the draft. George Allen was doing the, um, uh, the active, uh, he was in charge of active players. So, so Reeves couldn't stand that. Uh, the two didn't talk that much. Uh, I also think Reeves was a bit jealous of George Allen, too, because George Allen was getting all the – he was in the spotlight. He was getting the fame. So Reeves was jealous of that. Reeves fired him after the 68, 68 season. And in one of the surreal events in George Allen's life, and there were several, George Allen called a press conference after the 68 season, and 20 of his veteran Ram players showed up at the press conference. Merlin Olson – Jones, uh, Metter, uh, there were about 20 players there, and they said, basically, they were all veteran players, they said, Dan Reeves, if you don't rehire George Allen, we're quitting. So, several weeks later, Reeves rehired him. Now, Reeves would say, I didn't rehire him because of, you know, I wasn't influenced by the players in any way, but I'm sure that had something to do with it. Um, And then, you know, Two years later, Reeves fired him for the second time after the 70 season. But that was still after Allen had that remarkable record, which you just referred to. Uh, I mean, how, why would you fire a coach at that point, even though he hadn't, hadn't won a Super Bowl? Uh, so uh, Edward Bennett Williams, really, he wanted it badly. Jack Hancock wanted it badly. Those two had actually tried to get Allen after he was fired the first time following the 68 season. So after the 70 season, they really went hard after him, and um, and they signed him. Cook was actually uh, he was still living in Los Angeles. He owned the uh, Lakers and the Kings, right? Uh, but he was he, he was getting he was um, building up enough interest in the team to where he was close to being the majority owner, and he had the most influence among the owners. But he let Williams run the daily operations of the team. It was just the way the league was set up at the time, yeah, because of its cross ownership rules. Which you know you flip forward to today. And uh, Josh Harris, I mean, he has these interests in other other teams and other leagues, but I guess the cross-ownership rules don't exist. But um, so they got him, both uh, Cook and Edward Bennett Williams got him after the 70, 70 season, and he was hired in D.C. at that point. We're talking to Mike Richmond about his book on George Allen, uh, the legendary coach, Hall of Fame coach, 
Uh, we'll get to George and why and how he got to Washington right after these words from a few of our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Why Washington? You mentioned the Cook connection, but why Washington? I would imagine that he was sought after by a lot of teams. Yeah, well, the Eagles were one team that wanted him uh, after the 70 season. I think it was because uh, they offered him the most lucrative contract. Um, they, uh, and he also wanted to be in the Washington area, I mean, edu- for education purposes. I mean, his kids, uh, uh, two of whom were, were still in high school at the time. So... You know, he wanted it for that reason, too. Um, but they, they lured him to D.C. I mean, I, he, he had built a friendship with Jack Kent Cook, too. That's part of the reason right. why he chose D.C. I mean, the two became friends uh, when Allen was, was in L.A. Uh, Allen would visit Cook's Ranch in, um, uh, in the Sierra Nevada Mountains in, uh, in California. So the two became pretty good friends, and... Uh, and uh, Cook got him tickets to uh, Lakers, Allen and his family tickets to Lakers and, and Kings games. So that is a major reason, too, why he chose uh, Washington. But I'm sure he loved the lucrative offer. I mean, $125,000 a year over over seven years. So um, now also there was there was uh, something called a stock option at the time. Yeah. And it, it was not. What the Washington Post reported, and I never saw the contract, I never got my hands on it, but what the Washington Post reported is that the stock option was not actually part of the contract. It was something that, that Cook had written to Allen about in a separate letter. Um, it was like some type of an offer, but Allen never took advantage of it. So in later years, when he and Edward Bennett Williams were negotiating a contract extension, uh, that stock option was never included in the extension, which Allen did not like and is a reason that he wanted to part ways with the Redskins after the 77 season. Yeah, I, I think um, I think Len Shapiro, who I had on uh, a while back, it was, you know, as Snyder's uh, era was co- coming to an end, he kind of talked about that. Now, you know, it was a stock option, obviously, for equity in the team, and you know, if he had held on to that for a long period of time, it would have been it would have been worth a lot of money. So, um, so he gets full control, right? When he gets the job in D.C., part of that is this is his show. He's the general manager and he's the head coach. This is as Ron, you know, as we referred to it when Ron got hired. This is coach centric. He doesn't have you know a personnel guy. That's that's a, that's absolutely correct. He was hired 
as the head coach and the general manager. He had full full authority to do whatever he wanted with that team, build it however he wanted, um, player personnel, uh, the draft. Um, uh, yeah, it, it was his show. Edward Ben Williams gave him, you know, complete rope to to do what he wanted. And one of Allen's first projects was Redskins Park. Yeah, and. And as you know, the saying at the the Redskins welcome home luncheon that year, uh, Williams quipped, "I gave him an, an unlimited budget, and he exceeded, <laughs> he exceeded it." it yeah. Well, that was that was in reference to, in large part, to, to Redskins Park. Although Allen had a, had acquired a lot of veteran players up to that point, but he spent a lot of money on what we would then what would then be considered a lot of money for Redskins Park. I think it was like five hundred thousand dollars. Why did he pick so, way um, out in Northern Virginia? Um, he wanted to be away from the city. Mm-hmm. He didn't want the players to be distracted by anything in in D.C. Uh, you know, because their offices were at the time on on Connecticut Avenue, yeah. and they practiced they practiced uh, by RFK Stadium in Anacostia. He didn't want any. He wanted players to be distracted by anything in the city. He just wanted to be far away. He loved the. You know, back then, I mean, it was it was horse country. Yeah, right. But there was nothing out there. Yeah, it was just Ellis Airport. That was the only. I guess major site that w- that was in you know proximity to where they were in Chantilly, but that's why he chose uh, Redskins Park. It was isolated, and he had you know trees surrounding the uh, uh, the practice facility, and you know George Allen being George Allen, he he named the trees. By the way, he named the trees. What did he name them? <laughs> Hickory Hickory Oak or something, yeah. or um, but he he gave them. Uh, he, he had a love for nature, actually. Um, so he named the trees. The book is George Allen, A Football Life. The author is Mike Richmond. You can get a signed copy of the book at MikeRichmondJournalist.com. Next week, part two of my conversation with Mike. George Allen arrives in 1971, and he begins to win immediately. Three cheers for the Redskins. Hip, hip. Hip, hip. Hip, hip. Hey, let's have three more. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.